Thank you very much. Different tune to a wonderful song, Take the World, Give Me Jesus. If I asked you tonight, what is the model prayer? Would you have an answer to that question? What's the model prayer? The Lord's Prayer, Jeff speaks out and speaks for the whole church, right? Everybody agree the Lord's Prayer is the model prayer? Why do we call that the model prayer? Is that what it says in the Bible? Model prayer. Schofield Bible. <laughs> It's the model prayer. Why it's it's we call it the model prayer. I expected that answer. It's not a trick question. I expected that answer. John's disciples or Jesus' disciples came to him one day and said, "Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray." The Bible says Jesus said, "After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven." And he gives what we call the Lord's prayer. It's really more the disciples' prayer. The Lord never prayed that prayer himself. He never had to say, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, okay? But it is called a model prayer. Uh, is it the only model prayer in the Bible? I was reading through the Gospel of Matthew back sometime having devotions and reading through our New Testament. And I came across this passage. When I read it, I thought, you know, that's really a good 
That's a good desperation model prayer, okay? If I ask you tonight, is there a prayer in the Bible? Now, I already told you it's in the book of Matthew. There's a prayer in the Bible that you and I could say, that's a good desperation model prayer. What would come to your mind? Just tell me who prayed it. Joshua? I mean, Joseph? Peter, when did he pray this? Oh, now we got Joseph and uh, co-captain Luke back there helping him, okay? Walking on the water, right? What did he pray, guys? How long was that prayer? Three words. Lord, save me. Listen, uh, when you're in that situation, would you agree that's a model prayer? That's not the time to pick out, pick out your uh, rosary prayer book and start going through the, the prayer to Saint somebody there, you know. I mean, that's just like, Lord, save me. That's a model prayer. Why don't you turn that passage tonight, please, if you will, and go to Matthew chapter 14. I have thought so much lately about the subject of prayer. And don't forget, men, if you'd like to join a pulpit committee tonight, uh, we're going to be going to the cafeteria and spending just a little time in prayer, praying for our church as we seek the Lord's will regarding uh, a pastor after I retire. And uh, we just thought it would be good to have a time when our men could gather together and pray. So if there's no pressure for you to do that, uh, but if you'd like to, any of your men are welcome to come right after the service tonight. We'll go to the cafeteria, and we will start just as soon as I get there, and I'll try to be one of the first ones there, okay? Matthew chapter 14 is about, the story here is about the subject of prayer, and I call this the, the prayer that got results, a good model desperate prayer. Read tonight, please, beginning, first of all, at verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship, and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the, winds, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus sent them, or Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, It is the Spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus uh, said unto them, or spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. When they were gone over, they came unto the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out unto him all, or they sent unto him all that Hang on. And when the men of that knowledge, when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that, that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched his garment were made whole. I think here's a wonderful prayer. 
for God's people to pray when they really get desperate about something. And I don't know tonight, you don't have to raise your hand, please, but it's not testimony or prayer request time, but, you know, is there somebody here tonight that would say, I can relate to this because I really have a desperate need right now. There's really a pressing need, and I know what it is. God knows what it is, and I know about prayer, but I just, I don't know if I'm praying enough or praying right, but I just, I really, I'm getting really serious about this, and it's time for a desperate prayer here. This is a good passage of scripture, I think, to to think about. I just want to kind of work our way through it tonight. Don't have an outline for you. Just kind of work our way through the passage and make some comments as we go along. First of all, the Sea of Galilee. How many of you have been to the Holy Land? You've been on the Sea of Galilee? A few of us, okay. It's uh, about 690 feet below sea level. Just north of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon, which rises about 9,200 feet. And from May through October... Strong winds sweep down the mountain into the valley below, including, of course, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee. The disciples, the first thing I want you to understand tonight is, and you know this, the disciples, the disciples were where they were in the will of God. And the first thing about praying in desperate situations, I believe, is to do some serious thinking. So why am I in this situation? Am I in this because I got myself in this? I manipulated things enough to get to this, or I just, I, I just went ahead with this. Somebody thought it was a great idea, and I just took them at their word and, and went ahead. Or just like one morning I woke up, and I was just so sure that God was speaking to me, and so I felt he wanted me to do this, so you know, away we go. And, you know, or can you honestly say, I'm here where I'm here by the will of God? God is the one who put me here. God, is, God has put me in this situation. The disciples were in the will of God. Jesus told them to go over into the other side of the seas. And, and so an important thing to remember, when you're going through a tough time, you should, you should, it's fair to say, why? Dr. Warren Wiersbe says there are two types of storms for Christians. He calls the first one the storms for correction. The storms for correction, and that is a storm for us when we are out of God's will. When we're out of God's will, because we are God's children. What does it say in Hebrews? A father chastens the son in whom he delights. It's a sad, sad thing for a person to realize, you know what? I sin all the time and God never punishes me. He never chastens me. He never chastises me. Everything's always wonderful. And I just kind of live a life of sin, according to Romans chapter 12. You ought to check your salvation because God disciplines his children. He doesn't let his children keep sinning and get by with it. So when we're out of God's will, because God is a loving Heavenly Father, He chastens us, gets us back to the place where we're in His will again. Storms for, storms for correction. Then he, Dr. Wiersbe says we have what are called storms of perfection. When God wants to perfect our faith, it's kind of like John chapter 15, you know, when a vine brings forth fruit, what, do you, what does God do? He prunes it that it might bring forth more fruit. And then there's fruit there, there's more fruit there, and there, there's much fruit. So when we're walking in the will of God, we're seeking to obey Him and follow His word, sometimes God will allow a storm into our life. It's a storm for perfection. It's a storm that, that strengthens us in our faith. Mark tells us, and I like this, Mark tells us that Jesus saw them and He knew their plight. That ought to encourage. Mark puts it that way. Mark 6.48, if you're jotting down notes, Mark 6.48, Jesus saw them. The Bible says there that he saw them. He knew their plight. He knew exactly what they were going through. And that ought to always encourage us whenever we're going through any difficult time. And I'm so thankful as we study on Wednesday night in our Truth Seekers here in the auditorium, studying the theme God is, studying the attributes of God. And one of those two of those attributes really fit together. Number one, God is omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that God does not know. 
And along with that, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. He's present everywhere at the same time. There is no place where God is not. When you combine together those two truths, those attributes of God, that God is not only omnipresent, God is omniscient, put those two together and it's like, you know what? Sooner or later, we ought to get the point here. You know, God, if we're his children, I mean, God is with us wherever we go. He knows everything about us. There's no problem that we're going through that he doesn't know about. That ought to encourage us. But being in the will of God doesn't always guarantee that we'll have smooth sailing. I remember when this really, really hit me. Many years ago, how many of you remember Dr. Peter Davis? When he came to our church with his family, he was 100% convinced that it was God's will, and I was 100% convinced also, and I believe everybody here that, that got to know Dr. Peter Davis and his wife Leslie and their girls, that was a wonderful, wonderful godly family. And, and, and Bob Jones University had sent him to the University of Oklahoma to get his doctorate in, in piano pedagogy, teaching piano, okay? So they paid for that, those three years they paid, paid for his doctorate with the understanding and the agreement that at the end of that time when he got his doctorate, he would go back to Bob Jones University and teach piano for a certain number of years. That was the agreement. Dr. Davis is one of those people. I, I admire and respect him about as much as anybody I know. I mean, I always thought, you know, Dr. Davis, he's such a, he's such a great musician. He is a musician, but also he is a brilliant, he's a scholar, he's a Bible scholar. And I thought, you know, and he, and he has a burden for lost people. He's a man of prayer. He loves the word of God. I thought, you know, here's a man that I could imagine having going through a difficult time to try to discern what is God's will for my life because I could see Dr. Davis as a pastor, as a missionary. I could see him as a, uh, a musician in full time, which is what he is. And I thought, you know, here's a man that could surely, here's, he had such a burden for mission. I thought, man, God, this, God could call this man to be a missionary. God could call this man to be a, uh, lead a music department in a, in a university. And, and, you know, I thought, Boy, it must be difficult sometimes, but when he, he knew he was in, we talked about this, and he knew, he said, God's will for me is to be a musician and serve in a Christian college or university, and I will serve the Lord in other ways as, with every, every breath that I have, every ounce of strength, with every opportunity he gives me. And so when he came to our church here, I mean, he knew he was the will of God, and they had more things gone wrong with that, mood, that move than you could ever imagine. I mean, for what, what they went through to get here was, and when they left here to go back to BJ, it was the same. I mean, how would you like to be driving a big, huge, the biggest U-Haul truck they make with everything in it that you have, and then you break down halfway and they have to unload the whole truck and fix it and start over? I mean, it's just little things like that. It's car, I mean, it was just, and it, but the thing that, he says, the thing that kept us going, both coming here and going back, was the fact that I know I am in the will of God. Everything will have to work out just fine, and some of us, some of you, some of us, I've been there. There are many times when we know this is really difficult. It's like, you know, no, I, 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 I have to stop. I can't, I can't take this. I can't go any further. I mean, this is too overwhelming. It's like, and God says, you know you're in my will, so don't stop now. Keep going. Just keep going. I remember when we took Darla down to, uh, down to Tampa when we closed our school, and a few weeks later she got a call from Tampa, and they wanted to know could she come and teach third grade, and if so, uh, they wanted to send her a contract, but she'd have to be there in, what was it, I think eight days or something like that, ready for orientation. There's not a person on planet Earth that knows exactly what this guy went through for those days, and my wife and Darla. I mean, it was really, and, and one of the things was, was driving that U-Haul truck down there. David came, my dear friend, I mean, hey, listen, that thing was full, and we were pulling her car and a transport behind it. I don't know if I told you this or not. Perhaps I didn't tell somebody for sure, but when we, when we loaded that truck, 
Then we had to go back to U-Haul, and they put the transport on the back, not the little dolly thing that your car goes like this, but they you know, put it up on the whole thing. And we got, and Dara went with me because she's driving her car because I had drive the truck, she drives the car. We get the car up on the truck, and uh, or they get it up, and they put it all, they fix it. And we're coming back to church. We were coming down Northwest Expressway, and we got to uh, the Kilpatrick Tollway at the stoplight there. And when that truck downshifted, I wish you could have heard the transmission. It went something like this. I thought, don't tell me. It wasn't quite that loud, but I heard it, and I knew something's not right here. I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word to Darla. You have no idea what's going through my mind. I mean, we got to leave tonight at 7 o'clock. So we get home. I decide I'm not going to say a word about it, not a word. We'll just go and pray, and who, who, who knows, okay? I, I, hadn't, I had gotten less sleep than you could imagine for about almost a whole week, and and uh, we, we, David and I started down, we hadn't been too far down uh, I-40, we got to Kilpatrick, got on I-40, we just got out of town, and we came, we had to slow down, coming over a hill, and when I slowed down, it made that same sound. And by the way, at dinner time that night, Darla said, uh, Dad, did you hear that noise in the truck? I said, what noise? <laughs> okay. <laughs> did you? That was kind of like a funny, I said, yeah, I heard the noise in the truck, Darla, I was trying to forget about it until you brought it up, I didn't, I didn't want you to, to worry about me, she said, well, it didn't sound, I said, I know it didn't sound good. You have no idea going to, from here to, to Tampa, Florida with that truck. And I mean, it's like, got through another town. Praise the Lord. Ain't no turning back now. Got through another town. 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, 10 to 10, 11 o'clock. I mean, that thing, it made so many noises. I mean, and, and I'm thinking, I don't know how this truck will get there, but what are you going to do? Are you going to stop and unload the thing? Are you going to get some help? You know, a verse of Scripture. Not just on that trip, but leading into the trip and all kinds of things, things in the office. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm living, you know, I'm, I'm really living by the word of God when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And I, God just seemed to give me a verse for every single thing that went wrong. I said, no, we are in the will of God. We know that. There's no turning back. God's word says this. And I even came across a couple of new verses that I've never forgotten since that experience. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. I never heard that verse before, and I found it one morning in the book of Psalms, sitting in my office, about three days before we left. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart, all ye that trust in the Lord. And I just started quoting that verse and quoting that verse, and then other verses had come to my mind, and I'm just so thankful. It wasn't an exciting experience at that time. I promise you it was. There was no excitement to it. But looking back, God taught me some wonderful lessons. And it's kind of like the disciples on the, on, the, on the sea here. They are in the will of God. They are where God told them to go, where Jesus Christ told them to go. And there they are in the middle of the sea, and they have a major problem. But the Bible says in verse uh, 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning, that's the darkest time of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now listen, in any particular situation, would we be afraid if we knew that Jesus Christ was standing, or that he was in the, in the room right next to us? Or he was right with us there in the truck. He's right with you in your car. He's right there with you at the office, at your home. Whatever your situation is, 
You find yourself troubled. You find yourself afraid. You've got a, a difficult situation. You've got a storm in your life, and you believe you're in the will of God. Would you continue to be afraid if you knew that Jesus was right there in the house with you? He was there with you in the car. He was with you out there in the lawn, wherever. You say, no, I wouldn't be afraid if I just knew he was next door. I just knew he's right there close by. And, you know, you stop and think about it. We have Christ within us. Amen. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live yet. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, Paul said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Now these men were extremely afraid. And then Jesus says, be of good courage. It is I. Be not afraid. And when we are afraid, we should remember we have, we have Christ within us. We have the Spirit of God within us. He's really not too far away. We believe that Jesus walked probably about three or three and a half miles on the water. John 6, 19 says that he went five or 20 or 30 furlongs. Jesus waited a long time before he got to his disciples. And I got thinking as I studied that and read that, I thought, you know, he waited a long time to go to them. They were too far from the land to save themselves or to be saved by others. When all their props were gone, he came to them to help them to even help them grow spiritually through a great test of their faith. And none of, us like to, uh, none of us like to go through difficult situations. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. There is no testing, no trial, no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. Others have experienced the same situation. You know, misery loves company, Okay. Uh, there's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted or tested above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear. God knows where we are. He knows what the situation is. And he knows how far we are from, could we use the word, the bottom. Nobody likes to get to the bottom or close to it. We never know where the bottom is, by the way. But it's interesting that God does not always come to us immediately to help us with our problem. What happened one day when word came to Jesus, uh, your friend Lazarus is sick. What did Jesus say? Well, I better get to him right now. Drop everything. Take. Just, Come on, guys. We got to go. Emergency here. Did they, did they go to Bethany real fast? No. How long did they wait? Four days. That was a long four days for Mary and Martha. Would you agree? It was a long four days for the disciples. He had a purpose. He had a purpose for that. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. I'll guarantee you, after five days, Mary and Martha forgot about those four days. Would you agree with that? And Lazarus comes walking in the back door and says, hey, how you doing, sis? It's like, oh, man, you know, it's, it, Jesus is not in a hurry. And sometimes he, he does everything on time. And I believe sometimes he will allow us to go a little further even than we think we are capable of going because he's kind of like waiting for us to say, look, Heavenly Father, Please, I really, I really need you to help me. And there he is. We never know. We don't know his timetable, but he knows where we are. He knows who we are. He knows what the whole situation. But our fear should end with the awareness of the presence of Jesus Christ. And by the way, only, only Matthew records the story about Peter. We should read that again. Verse 28. But Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, 
bid me come unto thee on the water. And he, Jesus said, come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and, and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they, both of them, were coming to the ship, the wind was ceased. The wind ceased. We can learn some things here about Peter. First of all, it says he saw the wind boisterous. He, he really didn't see the wind. You don't see the wind. You hear the wind. You see the effects of the wind. But he didn't really see the wind. But he says he saw the wind and the waves boisterous. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Being born again is kind of like the wind. You know, you, 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 you feel the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. It blows where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, he said, but you can't really tell where it's coming or where it's going. But he said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. But Peter's doing fine as long as he's looking at the Lord. He takes his eyes off the Lord. He hears the wind. He sees the waves. And he begins to sink. We can learn some lessons here about Peter's desperate prayer. First of all, why was his prayer answered? Why was Peter's prayer answered? I give you four simple points. Number one, his prayer was directed to the right person. His prayer was only three words. Lord, save me. When you include Lord in your prayer, if you know who the Lord is, and you are sincere in your requests, you can't go to a better person, amen? His prayer was successful. It was answered. Why? Because first of all, it was directed to the right person. Lord, save me. Number two, his prayer was personal. This was very specific. This was a personal prayer. Lord, Lord. He said, Lord, save me. This wasn't about the disciples in the boat. It wasn't about his mom back home or his good friend over here or whatever else. This, was, this is a personal prayer. He says, Lord, save me. Put the emphasis on the me. It's a personal prayer. Number three, his prayer certainly was sincere. Would you all agree he was pretty serious about this thing? I don't think he said, well, I don't know if I should pray about this or not. It's really not a big deal. I mean, he's got he time to think about anything. He's going down. He says, Lord, save me. He was very sincere in his prayer. I wonder how many of our prayers are really sincere. I don't always suggest that people evaluate their prayers. If you ever evaluate your prayers, make sure you evaluate your own and not somebody else's. But do you ever think about your prayers from the time you say, Dear Heavenly Father, to the time you say, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. However you begin your prayer, however you end your prayer. And I know it's not always the same. But what do you actually say between the beginning and the end? What are, what are your requests? Are you truly aware of praying to God, your heavenly Father? Or is it just words coming out? Do you, under, do you think of him listening to you, hearing you? Is it personal, really coming from your heart? And do you sincerely desire that God answer that prayer and every need that you bring to him? You really sincerely want him to meet that. You know, and I'm really suggesting that whatever we pray, I think you would agree, I hope you would, we ought to be conscious of everything we say from beginning to end. Can you say amen? Now, not, I'm not being critical here, but a lot of people, uh, we, we, they begin our prayers like this, begin a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. And away you go. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Okay, I'm asking tonight. When you pray those words, do you really, are you really thanking God for this day? 
Are you really, truly thanking God for this day? Or is it just that's what I pray when I start? That just comes out. Lord, thank you for this day. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I've told you this. I don't brag. I just say this. Since my heart attack every day, every day when I pray, my first prayer during the day, except when I'm getting out of bed and I have to pray, but my first prayer of my devotions is always the same. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for saving me from my sins, giving me eternal life. And I quote whatever verse of Scripture comes to my mind about salvation. And then I pray. Heavenly Father, words are not always the same, but it goes to something like this. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for keeping me alive, for preserving my life when I had that heart attack. This morning I said, Heavenly Father, six years, seven months, and 15 days. Thank you very much. I want to keep living and serving you. And why am I saying that? Because I'm saying Peter's prayer was, was really sincere. He really meant that. And every day when I thank God for another day, I'm really serious about that. I really am serious about that. And so when you say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, I, I, if that's how you begin your prayer, I beg you, think about that. And are you really thankful that God has given you another day? And all the things we pray about, the people we pray for, do we really think about what we're praying? How specific really is it? And then Peter's prayer was immediate. He was immediately saved. Why? Beginning to sink, he cried. And it doesn't say beginning to drown, he cried. No, I think the lesson here is, when we know we have a desperate need, the time to pray is right then. Just pray right then. You say, well, what about the next day? If it's more desperate, well, then you pray again. We don't know how long we're going to have this need. We don't know how desperate we're going to get. But why wait and let it build up until it's like, oh, I should have been praying about this for the last three weeks. Hey, listen, maybe you wouldn't be where you are if you'd been praying about it. Have you ever thought about that? What, did, what does it say in James? You have not because you ask not. Is it possible that we have some problems that we wouldn't even have to have? We have some serious needs we really wouldn't have to have if when the need came, the problem surfaced. I mean, we just made it a matter of prayer. And we feel we can handle this. Just a few extra points to consider before we go tonight. Peter had a need that others didn't have. Why? Because he had some courage. Because he had some extra faith. I wrote this down. Attempt nothing for God, and you might not pray much either. <laughs> okay? You know, those, those disciples in the boat, they didn't pray, Lord, save us. Now, they, they, they were afraid. They didn't, they didn't cry, Lord, save us. No, Peter's the one who cried that. Why? Because he had a little courage. <coughs> he had a little faith. I've often thought about it, and you've heard more messages on this, I'm sure, or read more messages, you know, but maybe it gets old. It doesn't get old to me to think about it, you know what? For Peter to say, Lord, if it be, if, if it be you, Bid me come unto thee. And the word bid there is actually like a king's command. I believe that Peter says, you know, you are the son of God. And you know what? You know what kings do? Kings, you're the king of the universe. Kings give commands and says, Lord, if you are the son of God, then, then bid me come, command, you know, we come to you on the water. And he said, come on. Would you like to try that? He said, yeah, I, I got a lot of courage. I've tried a lot of things. With... Can you really see yourself getting out of a boat and walking on the water? I know Peter knocked, people knock Peter all the time, but he, he's, a, he's a crazy man. I know sometimes he, he didn't think before he spoke, but i tell you one thing. Peter was a man of courage. And you go through the Gospels and you read, and so many times when Jesus would ask a question, uh, Peter, he'd speak up. Now, I know he promised and, and vowed, you know, I, I will not deny you, though, though all men should deny you, I will not deny you. And then he even says, I will die before I ever deny you. And we know that he, he didn't follow through on that. I know we had some flaws. But I ask you, who was it when Jesus says to the disciples, whom do men say that I am? 
And they say, uh, the disciples said, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elias, some say you're one of the prophets, you know. And then Jesus says, but, but whom do you say that I am? You tell me who spoke up. Peter, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon spoke to Simon. What? Another time Jesus said, uh, Jesus says to the disciples, will you also, all the multitudes are leaving, you know. And Jesus said to his disciples, said, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom should we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art this Christ, the Son of God. You know, let's not not to Peter all the time, folks. And here he gets out of the water. He goes to Jesus. Anybody can sit in a boat and watch the action. It takes great faith to get out of the boat, get on the water. And he says, Lord, bid me come to thee. And then we know he took his eyes off the Lord. What was it that caused him to fear and cry out? Well, he took his eyes off the Lord. He saw the wind boisterous, the waves. When we take our eyes off the Lord, we can have some needs really fast. And I think sometimes while our eyes are upon the Lord, we're not always aware of the dangers we might be going through. We're not always aware of the situations around about us because our eyes are upon the Lord. When our eyes are upon the Lord, our eyes are upon the Word of God. And, and I think we find ourselves thinking of scriptures and as our eyes are upon the Lord and they're upon the Word of God, God gives us verses and you know, it's like everything's fine and, and, and everything is fine. And then you go through a time where you kind of get a little overconfident or something. You take your eyes upon the Lord, take them off the Lord and it won't be long, and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, I got a problem here. Well, take your eyes off the Lord. We usually fail to see the problem that came when we took our eyes off the Lord. It's not always the cause of the problem. Many times it is. How did Jesus respond when Peter cried out, Lord, save me? I love this part right here. But Jesus spake unto him, saying, be of good cheer, he says, disciples, it is I, be not afraid. That's what he said to his disciples when they, when they see him walking. And then pretty soon he tells Peter, come, you can come. And then, and then in verse down, what, verse 30, is it 31? Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. He caught him and said unto him, what did he say after Peter said, Lord, save me? Jesus says, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? That is not a strong rebuke. Jesus did not. bash Peter. He didn't scold him. Uh, he didn't beat him up. That's a gentle rebuke. Oh, thou of little faith, why did you doubt? That doubt there is an interesting word and we can learn a great lesson here. The word doubt literally means to stand uncertainly at two ways, standing uncertainly at two ways. As long as we keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we can only see one way and we move forward with confidence. When we allow doubt to come in, then we're kind of like standing at a crossroads and what happens is we see two possible outcomes. I put it down this way. When you take your eyes off the Lord and fasten them on others or on situations or circumstances, your mind thinks of the possibility of two contrasting outcomes to the same situation. And I think all of you know what I'm talking about. When you're going through a difficult time, you get a rough situation. It's, it's really a trying, it's an overwhelming situation. In your mind, there's a part of you that says, it's going to be okay because, and a verse of scripture comes to your mind, and you say, I don't know how it's ever going to happen, but I know that this is what is going, this is the outcome because, and it's all about the Lord. It's all about something in the word of God. But when it's going the other direction, and you got your eyes off the Lord, it's like, 
And those two words come out that we say all too often. What if? What if? What if this happens? What if this happens? And then if this happens, then this will probably happen. And then, well, what if that does happen? Then I got to deal with this. And it's like, and you live, you know, my wife and I were watching a movie the other night. One of those, what? When Calls the Heart. I'm enjoying those things, folks. I mean, I really am. I'm, I, don't, no, I never thought I'd enjoy those things. I mean, trust me. Uh, we were sitting at a restaurant over at McDonald's a few months ago, a few weeks ago, with Matthew Wilkerson, our missionary. We got talking. I said, I said, when calls, he says, oh, you watch those too? I said, I've watched a few. He said, I, my sister got me to watch them. And we started talking. We were having a lot of fun talking. But I just decided, you know, hey, a few weeks ago, I said, you know what? I'm going to sit down and watch one of those. Did I tell you this? I'm going to watch one of those with Bonnie. I'm not at the computer work, and I'm not in the kitchen eating some sugar crisp or something. You know, I'm not doing, I'm, 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 I'm going to sit down. And you know what? I really enjoyed it. And the reason I enjoyed it was, I mean, I really, it was good. I did enjoy it, but it was just nice to be next to her watching something to know she liked. And I've told you this, like when she would sit down and watch a football game with me, and I know she could care less about football. It means a lot to me that she's watching football, you know. So I thought, you know, I'll just do the football thing. I'll sit down and watch this movie here. And it was really good. I said, you know, let's watch it again tomorrow night. Yeah, two nights in a free week. Two nights in a row free, that's a big deal. I never had that. I said, let's watch the next one tomorrow night. And we did. Next time I had a free night, I said, can we watch that next week? Start watching the next one. I've watched a whole bunch of them now. And I'm telling you, they're really good. And I told Bonnie there, I said, you know what? I ought to get with all the men in our church. Says, you want to do yourself a favor? You want to do your wife a favor? Get when calls the heart and watch it every night you're free. Watch the next episode with your wife. No. Now, I shouldn't share this publicly, but I will. I told Darla when she was home last week, I said, Darla, I want to tell you something. After we watched When Calls the Heart, Bonnie, Larry, Darla, we got all done. I turned it off. I said, Darla, I want to tell you something. I said about two weeks ago, I stood here in the living room, and I said to your mom, I said, uh, I'd like to apologize to you. I owe you an apology. I said, I'm having a great time watching this movie with you whenever we have a free night. And I feel very embarrassed and very ashamed that for many, many months, for years, do I want to say years? I always found something I needed to do while you watched your movie. It was family finances, or it was studying for another message, or it was cleaning something in the back room, or it was going outside working on the lawn at midnight, whatever. I mean, I just, I, I just, I just, and I, I, I really, truly am sorry because I, you should not have been watching these by yourself or with your daughter, Darla. I should have been sitting next to you watching these, and I, I ask you to forgive me for, for being that kind of a husband. That's how I felt about it. How did I get into that confession, pray tell? Help me out, somebody. Hmm? Yeah, what if? Thank you very much. Did you catch it when they said that? Last night or the night before, sometime recently. Somebody's got this really bad problem. He's going to figure this thing out. And, and I don't remember the whole deal, but I just remember this person said, well, well, well what if da-da-da-da? And somebody said, if I were you, I would not spend the rest of my life living by what if. And that hit me. I thought, that, I'm going to get that in a message. So I didn't know I was going to give a true confession there in this thing. I'm going to get that in a message because there may be somebody here tonight in this room. That could be the greatest thing to help you for in, in months of preaching. Just to realize you can't live your life by what if. 
because most of the what-ifs never happen, and you know that's true. But it all comes when we get our eyes off the Lord, we look at ourselves, we look at different situations, and we doubt. Jesus said, oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you allow yourself to get in a place where you would stand at a crossroads and you would be distracted and you'd have two possibilities and while your eyes are upon me and my word, everything is wonderful, it's going to turn out like this, but when you're in the doubt mode, then you're also looking down the other trail, it's like, well, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? And away you go. It's a good lesson for us here. Peter cries out and the Lord saves him. He and the other disciples recognized that this was the Son of God. I love this. It says, and when they were coming to the ship, and when they were come into the ship and worshiped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And that reminds me again of John 20, 30, and 31. Why did John write the Gospel of John? He says, and many other signs or miracles truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. He only wrote seven of them before the resurrection, one afterwards, eight miracles. He said, Jesus did a lot of other miracles that are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The disciples cry out, oh, truly, truly, this is the Son of God. You are the Son of God. On another occasion, the Bible tells us, after he stilled a storm, the disciples said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him. That little phrase, what manner of, means literally, oh, how this differs from all others. And they're saying, who in the world could still the storm but you? They saw who he was. I want to conclude tonight with a simple invitation. It goes like this. So what crisis situation do you have right now? Maybe you ought to cry out, Lord, save me. Just a simple prayer. Pray to the right person. Pray personally. Pray with sincerity. And praying immediately. Just, Lord, save me. Maybe somebody here tonight's not even a Christian. The greatest short prayer you can ever pray is not save me from drowning, but Lord, save my soul from, from death and judgment and hell. Lord, just save me. I believe Christ died for my sins and rose again. He's a living Savior, and I want to trust him tonight as my Savior. Father, would you save me? Maybe there's a Christian here tonight, and you need fellowship restored. You say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. Lord, maybe somebody says, Lord, help me. Help me. Lord, how about this? Lord, heal me. Jeff's probably prayed that a few times lately. Lord, heal me. Lord, feed me and clothe me. You got a financial need. The pressure's on. Lord, feed me. Feed my family. Feed me. Clothe me. Maybe struggling with guidance, trying to understand something. Lord, Lord, teach me. It doesn't have to be Lord, save me. Lord, teach me. Lord, guide me. Somebody uh, trying to go through something, we're trying to figure out God's will for your life in a big way or even the little things of life. Lord, Lord, guide me. Lord, comfort me. Lord, protect me. Lord, change me. Just whatever it is. Cry out to him. Three simple words. But cry out to him, right person. Cry out personally, Lord, me. Save me. Heal me. Protect me. Guide me. Lord, it's me. Cry out right now. And then cry out with sincerity. Would you bow your heads, please, tonight? Simple message, Peter and the disciples, in the will of God, Jesus said, let's go to the other side, I'll join you later. They were where they were supposed to be, in God's will, and a storm came up. Peter, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. 
And Jesus said, well, come on, come. And he did. He's in the will of God, and he's suddenly afraid. And he takes his eyes off the Lord. So what is your storm tonight? What is your difficult situation? What crisis are you experiencing? All kinds of needs tonight in this place. We all know that. Whether it's a really, really, really big deal that you're about at wit's end or it's just like it's kind of minor, but it's just getting on my mind, okay? Whatever it is. Why don't you tonight, why don't you just three simple words or whatever you want to add to it. Pray about it right here tonight. Let's stand together if you would. Our Father, tonight we pray that you will take a simple message and use it in our lives. That we might truly live by your word with our eyes upon you. There are so many situations in the world today, in our country, families, political things, war things, pandemic things, economy things, and others. Lord, we do have some definite needs tonight. And I pray that you will encourage all of us tonight to be in your will, keep our eyes upon you, and whatever situation develops that we might pray. We ask this tonight in Jesus' name. As our pianist plays tonight, our heads bowed.